Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So we're down to stage three load shedding. It doesn't affect my schedules at all. I don't know if it affects your schedules. Is it just cosmetic? I, do you really believe it? And how long will it last? Oh, my word, traumatized. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital. Let's talk about things we can control. Uh, well, we can't control markets, but we can control the way we think about money and approach money. So give us a sense of it, please. This idea of putting shock absorbers into investments. Explain what you mean. You know, I think when we look at investment markets as they are at the moment, it, it feels like we're, we're watching entire market cycles, which you know normally would run over a seven-year period, and we're seeing them happen sometimes in weeks, you know, if, if, if not normally months. And, and so what we're seeing is things like, you know, the stock market absolutely rocketing and then you know, coming to a grinding halt and 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 then you know falling over a bit. We're watching the rand strengthen, you know, incredibly way beyond a lot of people's expectations, and then in a matter of days, you know, kind of fall apart again. Uh, and so, when you're managing your own investments or when you're managing an investment portfolio, uh, those are really tricky di- conditions to try and you know make good and sensible money decisions. And I think the trick with putting shock absorbers into your portfolio is to say. Well, what are the things that I can do that that aren't going to be dependent on on stock market movements over the next day or week or month? You know, what what measures can I take to make sure that I'm I'm making sensible decisions at at tricky times when everyone else is not being sensible and and possibly being far too emotional? Uh, and and the the trick there is to make sure that you firstly you have the right mix of assets when you when you start your investment portfolio. In other words, that you know that combination of cash, bonds, property, shares, it, it's critical that you you decide uh, for yourself what that mix should be, uh, and that should really be based on your circumstances. You know, it's pointless saying I, w- I want the thing that will give me the best growth because you know, sure, the best growth uh, is is really nice when markets are going up, but the best growth could also be the thing that's costing you thirty or fifty percent of your money. When markets are falling, so so you know, best growth. I'm I'm afraid is just far too simplistic when you when you make a decision like this. What, what you need to say is, how long am I prepared to leave my money invested? Uh, how much am I prepared to lose when when markets do fall? And and knowing that stock markets can halve very easily, uh, and and then you decide uh, what your mix of assets should be. And and always understand your biggest engine of growth uh, w- when you make investment decisions as far as I'm concerned is is buying productive assets like shares uh, property companies maybe even properties you know physical properties as well uh, and and those are wonderful when when life is going well but they do come with big big downsides and, and then to compensate for that you you put in the, the really boring mundane assets like cash you know and and cash is never going to be the asset that gives you uh, you know, fantastic inflation beating growth. But when the world falls apart, um, it's amazing how comforting a bit of cash in your portfolio is because it does it does give you a bottom in the portfolio. You're not going to lose all your money uh, if you've if you've got a good cash holding as well. And and cash is a great place to be when when um, when markets do fall because it means you you can deploy some of that cash back into the growth assets that have lost a lot of value, but potentially are going to give you good growth in the future again. So, yeah, I mean, the the argument of cash, and cash is is a beautiful thing, but when it's giving you a return at the moment of, what, 1% or 2%, it does feel like it's being incredibly lazy um, sitting in a portfolio like that. 
That, that's true. And, and so, um, you know, the fu funny thing about, you know, that, that's why I like the, the analogy of a shock absorber, because, you know, shock absorbers do nothing to make your car go faster. Um, that, you know, they are heavy and they, they, you know, they take up space. But, uh, but, but you know, when you hit the bumps, it's amazing how, how, how much you're, you know, you really appreciate those shock absorbers. And I would say the same with cash. You know, it's, it's one of those things that certainly shouldn't be a very big part of a portfolio. You know, if you're sitting on half of all of your investments in cash, then absolutely, Bruce, you're wasting a lot of uh, lost growth opportunities. And, and so I think, you know, for me, most people, you know, especially if they're living off their money, they, they probably shouldn't have more than a, than about 30% of their assets in cash. And that's, that's really uh, conservative. For, for, for the rest of us that might still be in that phase of building up our capital, you know, m maybe somewhere around 10% is, is a good holding. And, and when markets are falling apart, what will happen is your, your cash will become a bigger part of your portfolio. And, and that's where the magic of, of this asset mix kicks in. Because now all of a sudden, if you've said to yourself, I need to have 10% in cash all along, uh, when you do your big review of your asset mix, and I, I think you should be doing that once a year at the same time every year, then, then all of a sudden, you know, your cash might be sitting at, at 20 or 30% of your portfolio. And then you need to say, well, hang on, that's not my long-term desired allocation to cash. I'm going to reduce my cash. I'm going to, in effect, sell the asset that's lost no value and, and use that money to buy the assets that have lost value. So what you're doing uh, with a really kind of structured and, and disciplined approach is you're you're forcing yourself to buy when others are selling, uh, and and that becomes a great way to to kind of go counter the the the, the fear and and counter all the the kind of hype of of crashing markets and actually buy quality assets at the right time. And and there's no magic in this. You know, there's not there's no magic formula where you're suddenly trying to predict and forecast what you think the world's going to do next week or next month or next year. All you're doing is you're looking at your own asset mix and saying, it's out of balance, it's my once a year check, I need to make a change. And, and, and it's amazing that if you look at uh, you know, that as a strategy, I mean, and you know, the, the, the kind of industry will, will talk about rebalancing quite a lot. Uh, I think the asset managers are bad at this because they always put in some predictions and some forecasts into their rebalancing. Uh, and so that's why you don't want to leave it to them. But you know, if you stick to a kind of a really simple uh, disciplined re rebalancing approach that's entirely built around you and your circumstances, you end up doing a heck of a lot better than pr pretty much everyone else out there because they're all stuck on emotions and forecasts. Yeah, and I suppose, again, by reviewing and being disciplined about it and being regular about it, you hopefully, you're never going to remove emotion, but you can limit the emotion that 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 is always prevalent when it comes to making big financial decisions and that rebalancing of a portfolio is a significant decision because you are assessing the possibility of how things are going to perform into the future and making choices on that basis absolutely and and you know i'm sort of you know, shooting through it now and, and, and making it sound very, uh, very simple, very easy to do. And, and, and what I would say is, uh, what I will say is it, it is simple, the, the, the strategy is simple, but certainly not easy because, because the truth is, you know, in March last year, you know, when we in the middle of a pandemic and we actually don't know 
what the world's going to look like after this and you know is this a three week or two year or five year issue what's going to happen if your rebalancing uh, strategy is you know um, th that you rebalance your portfolio in march the likelihood is your cash allocation goes from 10 to 50 percent of your portfolio and then you know the crazy guy being me on the radio is telling you that you know now's the time to start buying and, and you know build up your share portfolio uh, at a time when everyone is panicking and and so so I, I know it's a simple strategy but i can assure you it's really not uh, not not easy to do because you really are swimming against the tide uh, but, but the truth is that that is the strategy that does work you know and it's not being contrarian for the sake of it in other words it's a really bad idea if everyone's selling that you just start to buy on principle you know that that's that's a terrible idea but you know sticking to your asset mix and then you know being disciplined about it as i say once a year i think is is perfect uh, it does help you to swim against the tide at the right time uh, and and that could also be you know when markets are booming because believe it or not they, they will boom again one day uh, and when markets are booming and suddenly your your allocation to shares has gone from you know for argument's sake 65% to 80%, then I'm, I'm also saying that that's the time to be selling shares and, and reducing your allocation in favor of things like property and bonds and cash. Uh, and, and what you're in effect doing there is selling the stuff which has become really expensive and moving it into assets which are hopefully cheaper and, and will give you protection in, in the next crash. But then I'm playing paying capital gains tax. And, you know, as much as I like to support the fiscus, um, this idea of paying capital gains tax means that I lose a big chunk of any gain that I've made over a period of time in order to do this rebalancing. And that kind of feels very hard and unfair. Uh, I said on on Twitter today that uh, this was going to be a tough show because I think you've had your full quota of coffee and I wasn't wrong. <laughs> so, um, Sorry, so, but it's it's that it's that it's that thing where if you've got it within a, a within a, a, a retirement annuity or something like that, and somebody else has managed their money for you, or it's in an index fund, you don't have that problem because the rebalancing happens automatically. Absolutely, and I think that's a, a nice uh, a, a nice solution for for people in that space. Whether it an, whether you're in an RA or a living annuity, or, you know, if you still have endowments, you know, in an endowment, you're not, you're not going to face those issues. But, but even for those people who simply own, you know, shares or exchange traded funds, or just, you know, just a portfolio of, of unit trusts, and they need to do this for themselves, th there is one thing about, uh, about doing um, rebalancing once a year, and, and, and that's that you start to rebase your costs um, when you're doing your capital gains. In other words, you know, we're allowed as, as South African taxpayers to, to earn 40,000 rands worth of profit every year when, when we do transactions without paying capital gains tax. So if you're doing rebalancing once a year uh, and you are paying some capital gains tax, I, I take your point, it's always painful, but what you're also doing is taking advantage of this, this one little bit of kind of ray of light that SARS does give us around capital gains tax, which is, which is this 40,000 rand a year um, profit allowance. So, so I do think that that kind of tax harvesting helps because in 20 years time, when you might need to start drawing on the money and you've got massive capital gains tax, if you've never sold a thing, you know, that's much more painful than, you know, if you've constantly been rebasing your costs and, and, and taking advantage of a bit of tax harvesting is what the Americans call it. 
Warren Ingram this evening uh, with personal finance. In a moment, we're going to be talking about Tina's question to us this evening. And Tina said, please, can you advise on the different types of tax-free savings accounts available other than the standard interest-bearing ones offered by the banks? Who's got the best offer in terms of total costs, stroke fees, and is one's capital investment guaranteed? That's Tina's question for Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram, that question from Tina. Let's break it down into different bits and pieces. Tina's looking for the different types of tax-free savings account available other than fixed deposit type ones, the ones that just give you interest. Can we can we please ask someone at Treasury to, to change, change the name? The name. Oh, I mean, I know, I know they're not a marketing organisation, but cheapers. I mean, it, this just this name just causes this problem all the time, and 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 it's not Tina's fault. This is you know this is just a really lousy name. So I know it's called tax-free savings account, and and you know account in South Africa means you know for for almost all of us bank account, but but, but the truth is that in a, in a tax-free savings account. You can buy, you know, anything from, you know, a fixed deposit or, you know, an interest-bearing account that, that Tina mentions. You, you can buy uh, property funds, you know, you, you can buy low-risk uh, kind of balanced funds. You can buy high-risk balanced funds. You can invest all of it in shares. You can buy exchange-traded funds. You can buy RAND-denominated overseas investments, uh, you know, in, inside the tax-free as well. So, so you really got an enormous choice, Tina. It's, it's certainly not uh, re- restricted to interest-bearing investments at all. Uh, I, I think in terms of, of your, your, the second part of your question around, um, you know, is one's capital guaranteed? Well, well, that will really depend on what you buy inside your tax-free. So, you know, if you, if you buy a money market uh, fund where, where you are going to earn an interest, your capital is not exactly guaranteed, but but it's pretty safe bet. However, you know if you if you buy an exchange traded fund that invests in the you know top forty or top fifty shares in South Africa, then definitely no capital guarantees in that. But probably over the next five or ten years, will do much better than you know an interest bearing account. Uh, in terms of the other, you know, the middle part of your question, you know, what's on offer that's uh, you know based in terms of costs and fees? I think the one thing, I, well, one of the one of the things that Treasury's done well is they they were quite prescriptive in terms of what fees could be charged in tax fees. You know, they're not not allowed. To, you know, asset managers are not allowed to charge performance fees, for example. But but the, the reality is something that tracks an index. You know, whether it's a local index or a global index. Typically, will be lower cost than than you know an actively managed uh, you know unit trust by you know by a fund manager. So so there you'll get, you'll get a fee benefit, uh, and, and so to me that will probably be my default for a tax free is you know some kind of a combination of of a local and global index uh, a tracking investment for my my tax free. Then helps, the all important question is one's capital investment guaranteed? And this is what so many people, you know, say, I don't want a cash investment. I don't want to put cash in the bank because I just don't get a rubbish return. I want to take risk, but I want my capital to be guaranteed. Um, just to take us through the the realities around that. So when, you, when you're looking for an investment that's uh, reliably going to beat inflation over over time, the, the 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 thing you need to understand is that you, you are you are absolutely forced to take investment risk. There, there is no there is no magic bullet that or, or magic pill or silver bullet that you can find that will give you an investment that will grow faster than inflation 
and come at no risk. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm, that, that's my experience. I'm, I'm prepared to stand on my head and shout that all day long to anyone that will listen. You, you have to take some, some investment risk. And, and the assets that give us the best history of, of beating inflation over long periods of time have been shares and, and property companies. And, you know, at, at various stages, shares and, and property companies, uh, you know, have lost, easily lost about half of their value over a 12-month period. So, so that's the starting point. If someone says, gee, I, you know, I really want a, a high growth investment and, and you know, that, that's the story, th th then the other part of that is, you know, are you, are you happy to, to see your, you know, your 100,000 Rand go to 50,000 Rand, make no changes, don't panic, don't start drinking and just wait and it will recover. Because if you are, then, then by all means do it. But if you're saying I want high growth um, and I want no risk, what you're asking for doesn't exist. You know, th th that's the reality. I know lots of product providers out there will offer you know products that offer some form of a capital guarantee and my view is they're expensive and, and there is always a cost built in there there's always some sacrifice of growth so so I, I don't think it's possible Bruce to find something that actually gives you you know no risk and high growth it, it's you know I mean I know that that would be the brilliant product but if there was such a thing we all would have our money in there and you know financial planners wouldn't have jobs uh, you know asset managers wouldn't exist we'd all just have this a you know, miraculous investment that, that hasn't been uh, d discovered yet. Thank you, Warren. And um, you mentioned asset managers. I mean, there's a good question. What is asset management actually? So, when you um, when you talk about asset management in the investment world, that's the the process of buying a range of different investments, putting them together with the aim of getting long-term capital growth. Uh, you, you might find that there, you know, some people who do this will will have a very particular strategy. In other words, they'll they'll be like a Warren Buffett, where they'll buy a range of companies that that they believe are really good and and will deliver good growth over long periods of time. And then they, they, their aim is to buy them, hold them, and almost never ever sell them. On the other end of the spectrum, you'll get uh, you know asset managers who like to trade. Kind of one of the most famous global global traders is uh, George Soros, where where they'll take big positions and borrow lots of money, uh, you know, almost betting that that, that they know what uh, what's going to happen and and make investments accordingly. And and so you know those will be traders. Um, and then in between that, you'll find you know a range of asset managers that might be quite. Uh, slow and passive in terms of their approach to investment at certain times, and then quite vigorous in trading at other times. So, so asset management is is simply you know the the, the ability to put uh, investments together, um, and then try and get that growth. The idea is that you're getting good growth, and if the asset manager is good, that they're getting you that growth at a lower risk than what the the, the stock market or the, the particular combination of markets are that you you know you've got in your portfolio. History tells us that's not as simple as it sounds, and asset managers really struggle to do that. But but in essence, that is what what, what we're looking at. Okay, thank you, Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram uh, with our personal finance feature on a Thursday evening, tackling your questions. Tina, I hope that helped answering your questions on asset management and looking at this really important issue of protecting yourself from the huge volatility which has to come in markets in certainly the months ahead.